welcome to the Need More Buffs podcast, the unofficial Lightseekers podcast sponsored by DeliveryCrab.com. DeliveryCrab.com, your number one source for Lightseekers cards and three points of healing. Welcome back, Seekers, to episode 38 of Need More Buffs. I'm your host, Matt Sonnenberg. As a few of you have noted, the show has been on a little bit of a hiatus since I've been traveling the country for various Lightseekers tournaments over the past few months. This has included not only the first two Delivery Crab tournaments, but then the U.S. National Tournament, which was held at Gen Con this year as well. All of these tournaments were a lot of fun to be a part of, and I can't wait to get back out in the tournament scene. In this same time period, though, a lot of things have been going on in the Lightseekers community. Not only have there been a lot of tournaments, but we got the full release of the Lightseekers TCG digital app, and we've also had the release of Wave 3, or Lightseekers Kindred. There's been a lot of things to keep you guys busy, and I'm hoping you're taking advantage of that, but now I know it's time to get back into the content creation, and we're going to do just that. A few quick announcements before we start the show. We're in the final planning stages for our next batch of Delivery Crab tournaments. I can tell you right now that our next tournament is going to take place on September 8th, once again in Wisconsin. It'll be at the same location we had last time, so I hope a lot of you can come out and join us there. Keep an eye out for more details on that tournament coming up on the Delivery Crab website. If you're not in the Wisconsin area, don't worry. We have a lot more tournaments planned. We are spreading out a bit, but I'm still working on getting exact times and locations for you. As soon as we have that information, I'll be sure to let you know about it. Now as we move into this episode, please note that this was recorded before Gen Con, which means Kindred was not out yet. It was not available to play with. This was a tournament that took place in the beginning of July So even though a lot of things have changed, we have the app, we have a new set of cards, there's still a lot of good, relevant information discussed throughout this episode, so I hope you'll take some time to listen to it. The show notes for this episode can be found at DeliverCrab.com slash 038. That's DeliverCrab.com slash 038. With that being said, I hope you'll join me in welcoming Frank to the show. Welcome to the show, Frank. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Matt. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. First of all, thank you for coming out to the first ever Delivery Crab Tournament. I didn't know if we were going to get anybody to show up, but I'm I'm glad that you were one of those people. Oh, no, it was a blast. I'm glad I could make it. Me and my friends were pretty much as soon as we saw it, we we're like, all right, we got to find time to make sure we go to this. <laughs> An hour and a half drive away, mm-hmm. Saturday, don't care. Let's get off work and let's go. Perfect. So we're you, happy we make it. <laughs> Do you normally work on Saturdays? So I recently got a new job last year, but uh, I somewhat work on Saturdays to help out because we're we're low on people right now. Sure. So I've been helping volunteer on the weekends to make sure. But I was like, all right, I can't. This is one Saturday like this month. I need off. I can't <laughs> do it. I'm, I'm going to be out of town. So, uh, but I my other friends, one of them does work on Saturday. The other one just works weekdays. So he was pretty easy to get off work too, and we all carpooled out together and had a blast. Awesome. That's what I like to hear. Uh, there, there will definitely be more of those tournaments coming, but uh, I, I'm just glad to see the first one was, in my eyes, a success. Oh, yeah. No, I, I can't wait for more tournaments. Yeah, yeah, we'll get there. So <laughs> <laughs> talking about you, though, I'd like to kind of start from the beginning and, and find out where you got your start into gaming. Was it as a child? Did you play a lot of games or was it not until later in life? 
Oh, Lord. Uh, my start into gaming started in, oh, God, I want to say sixth or seventh grade. It started with video games. Sure. I got a I got a PlayStation 1 for Christmas with Final Fantasy 7. And since then, I've been, <laughs> I've been hooked on video games, board games, card games, just everything in general. Started out with, you know, Magic the Gathering. My friends got me into uh, the um, World of Warcraft card game. We got into Yu-Gi-Oh! We got into all these card games together. And eventually, which led into further this one. Um, but I actually went to school for game design uh, mm-hmm. at MATC, Madison Area Technical College, and graduated with an associate's degree in computer animation with an emphasis on video game design. But uh, that was like three years ago. And since then, I've been dabbling in video games, trying to make something of it, just doing art and generalizing and whatnot. And then we, my, me and my friends have been going to Gen Con, which we're actually going this coming week. Uh, we've been going to that for the past five years, and it's been a blast just meeting people there, testing out new board games, playing old ones doing all the events, talking to artists and all the game developers and just getting kind of a, a who's know of what everyone has been doing. But yeah, I've, I've been into gaming for the past 20 plus years and I don't see any trend of that stopping. <laughs> that, that, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I'm glad you found kind of your, your calling early on and, and just followed that. That's oh yeah. One of those things I, I kind of wish I had done. Like I, I, from a very young age, probably like seventh, eighth grade, I, I, I remember dabbling in building websites and for whatever reason, it never occurred to me that, you know, I could have gone to school for that. I could have <laughs> done oh, yeah. this for a career. And like, I, I, I went in a completely different direction, kind of circled back around and kind of, you know, you can see what I'm doing now, but yeah, it's, it's, it's good to see that you, you were able to lock in on that. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I, I knew a, a general perspective of what I want to do. There's so many elements to game design that it's mm-hmm. like, okay, now I have the generic, just like encyclopedia of knowledge. Now, how can I utilize that in which aspect of where I want to go? So I'm, I'm a generalist game designer, but I still have yet to find my niche as to what do I want to specialize in? How do I want to go about this? So I'm, I mean, I'm 29 years old and I'm still dabbling in several areas. So I haven't even found where I want to sit down and focus on it. But I feel like having a broad spectrum right now is pretty good if I want to talk about anything in general before I find my niche. So it makes sense. Yeah. You, you, yeah. you got plenty of time. Yeah. I've, I've been told that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned a, a couple of like board games and card games and other, you know, TCGs that you've played. Is yes. that, is that kind of what led you to light seekers? Like where, where did you first find out about it? So actually, we found out about Lightseekers at last year's Gen Con, where I believe it premiered. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not entirely sure about that, but I know it was like the first day of Gen Con. We started walking around the booths, and one of our friends, uh, now fiance, goes, hey, why don't we go check this out? And we kind of sit over, and we sit down, and we start playing. And I, I had the uh, the mountain uh, aspect with Dolo, and I was going against uh, the storm uh, alignment with... Um, Malia? Uh, yes, with Malia. And I remember just sitting there thinking to myself, okay, this is a really neat game. I you know, I love card games, love getting into the whole aspect of it. I'm not a fan of those like, hey, I just dealt, you know, forty damage in one turn and you had nothing <laughs> to do about it. So the whole aspect of like being able to see your opponent's board and actually have more of an interactive playstyle to it really drew me into it. And I think after we play tested it, we each bought a starter deck, went home that night. Tested it out because we got a few booster packs, assembled our decks and whatnot. We had a six-way free-for-all, and we played like four of those games until two in the morning. Went back to the booth the, the moment Gen Con door opened up, <laughs> bought three booster boxes, and we're like, all right, this is this is our Gen Con. This is what we're doing right now. Yeah. And we, we have never stopped since. We've been 
buying cards. We've been checking out the new releases since Wave 2. I've been keeping up with Wave 3. Cannot wait for Kindred at Gen Con. Uh, yeah, we've just been going pretty much all the way since last year, and it's it's been a blast keeping up with everything. Just finally now the, the digital game got released yesterday officially. Mm-hmm. Uh, me and were part of the beta, so that was awesome to play. Uh, just being able to test out all these different deck ideas, we, we had a general sense of like, hey, we want to do with this color. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh my god, there's these new hybrid heroes. Oh my god, there's like weapons. What can we add in? It's, I mean, there's there's been a, a nonstop list of stuff we've just been talking about, debating, discussing. It's it's one of those things that like never has an end to the discussion to it, which has been great because I mean we've been a year and we're still talking about it. So I mean, something like that will stick with you. Yeah, it's kind of the, the how, how these games work. I mean, that, that's how they want them to work, that you just keep talking about them constantly. And so part of it is, yeah, they have to come out with new content to keep you talking, which they are doing just fine with. Oh, they're doing great with it. <laughs> but at the same time, I mean, even if you just had Wave 1 or even Wave 1 and Wave 2, like just the possibilities that are in there, that it, you know there's going to be someone you know, a few months from now that sits down and looks at this game and and comes up with a brand new deck idea that no one has ever thought of before. Exactly, like that. That's the whole aspect of it. Is uh, I mean, you you, fl- you look at a hero and you go, okay, how do I want to use this ability? Mm-hmm. How do I want to go about their alignment? And then all of a sudden, you're like, well, that's just one alignment. What if you want to put a weapon in there and splash in a different color? You have five other colors with three different alignments to that order, and you're mm-hmm. like, the possibilities are endless. What are you What are you going to think of next? And it's, I mean, it's it's great to just sit down for an hour and theory craft these decks yeah. is what probably the most fun of it is for me. As the sets grow and as we get more and more cards, I mean, the possibilities to keep on growing. There's no way one person can figure out every deck possible or figure out the best deck for every order, the best combination. So it, it, it's it's something that, at this point in the game especially, like anyone can jump in and say, hey, look at this. It's something new. Oh. Oh, exactly. I mean, that that's what I really appreciate about this game is, like you said, it's ever-changing. There's never going to be, hey, you know, here's the best deck for this one. If you want to play this order, you have to play this deck. And it's like, well, no. I mean, I, we, we saw at the tournament, and I'm sure we'll get into it a little later, that there were several decks of the same order, and mm-hmm. all had their own unique styles and unique plates to it, where it's like, there are so many different combinations and possibilities to this. And even the starter decks, if you buy a starter deck, I've me and my friends, we got one of our new friends into it, he bought two starter decks, and we have some very refined decks that we've been playing over the years. He went three and zero against one of my friends with just a starter deck, and we're like, "Okay, we need to think this." <laughs> so it's it's really fun to see just how unique and balanced and diverse this game has become. And like like you said, anyone that wants to even jump in right now, buy a starter deck, you will do just fine. You don't have to spend you know fifty sixty dollars on three cards to make a deck better. The the decks are fine. You just the play style, learn the game, learn the basics, and you'll be set to go. Absolutely. You said you found out about this game at last Gen Con, so like a year yes. ago. And since that time, like right after Gen Con, like there wasn't really much of a local scene anywhere. So so were you just playing? I, I, it was nice, I guess, that you went with friends and got your friends into it at the same time so you could play with each other then. But other than, than your small group of friends, was there any really local scene or anything? Or where did you go to play? Uh, unfortunately there, there wasn't right away. We came back from Gen Con and I, I mean, I bought one of each of the starter decks cause I was like, all right, I gotta, sure. I gotta find my niche, gotta learn these colors and whatnot. And when we got home, uh, from, 
uh, Gen Con, me and my coworkers, I started getting them into this because my coworkers are also gamers, but you know, they couldn't afford to go to Gen Con. So I'm like, hey, I got all these starter decks. Let me teach you this game. So our our friend group extended from six people to around 15 people that just generalize and really like the cards, want to come over, hang out, we'll play this, we'll play a few multiplayer games and whatnot, learn them into it. But I don't think the the real presence of this started until six months after Gen Con when I started seeing, uh, you know, actual game shops, you know, hosting, what do I want to call them, like tutorial venues where they, they learn the game. and Sure, learn to play events. Yeah, learn to play events, yeah. And then uh, we had our weekly tournaments start up not just two, three months ago where I was like, we actually have tournaments? I, how come I didn't even know about this? <laughs> and I was like, I, I, I didn't even, oh, why, how, do I, how do I sign up for this? So my friends you know, showed me the app, and I was like, I, oh, my God, I've been focusing so much on the cards. There's, this, there's an app out there that actually shows you what your opponent signs you up for these tournaments. I'm like, this is, this is happening so much faster than I ever thought, and I was so excited about it. But, yeah, I mean, the, the first six months, it was just us playing the game, waiting for things to happen. We're like, oh, I want to see what they come up with next Gen Con. Then all of a sudden, Wave 2 happened. We're like, oh, they're making new cards. Awesome. Let's have a really big presence. And then like a week later, I'm like, oh, the app's there. Oh, my God, there's a tournament in my area. It's like, what? <laughs> Where have I been? My my head has been buried in these cards that I need to start showing them to everyone because I'm apparently in a got my head in a hole. But, yeah, it, it it's blown up in my area. I'm, I'm in the Madison area right now, um, sure. which is the next qualifier is actually tomorrow. So I'm going to that, crossing my fingers I make it. If not, I have the last chance qualifier. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I give it three, four months ago is when my area really started going nuts on it. All the card, all the card gaming shops started carrying them, so hosted the tutorial events, started hosting tournaments. And the scene is just, it's gone an exponential rise since then. And it's been great. Yeah, that's exactly what we're looking for. I mean, get, get it into those local shops and everything else kind of falls into place. Exactly. So you have, have been in this for a long time, but was the Delivery Crab tournament... Well, no, I guess you, you had some local tournaments at the store level, correct? Yes. Okay, but then the, the Delivery Crab tournament was the first one outside of your local shops? It, it was the first one I went to outside of my local shops, yes. Okay. What kind of planning did you put into, you know, deck prep, or, or how how did you play test? Like, how many decks did you go through to figure out what you are going to play? Uh, as of right now, I have 17 different decks all built. <laughs> uh, so it was, it was quite the venue, and uh, me and my two other friends who actually went to the event with me, we sat here for probably two, three weeks, Going through the decks, remodifying, going okay. You know, we got we can only bring one. Which one's the best one? Mm-hmm. So we started uh, playing back and forth, and I think after the first week, we're like, all right, then this this deck looks really good. I think I'm gonna go with this. And then we started talking to ourselves, like, all right, so we know how to beat each other, but there's gonna be at least ten other people at this event probably. How do we beat them? And we're like, that's a good point. So we, <laughs> so <laughs> as we're going through, like, all right, all right, so this deck. Works really good against uh, hyper aggression. This deck is more of a control well, mid range. Okay, so then we started going into our sideboards after we chose our deck after like the first week. Like, all right, so this deck, what's this deck's weakness? How can we uh, modify that? And of course, I have you know, like I said, seventeen different decks, one of almost yeah. each playstyle. I'm like, all right, here's what we're gonna do. If we want to test that out against a certain deck, this one is a really good archetype for this uh, you know, hyper aggression or mid range or control or whatever. If we want to test our deck that we like, we'll test it against these archetypes that we have, see what it needs to beat them, see if it can beat them on a regular basis, if it needs to be modified with the sideboard. We went to that. And I think, like I said, we had two or three weeks of just consistent testing, probably two, three days a week, figuring out what would work really well, what works against certain types of decks. And then, of course, the UK national deck lists were put online. So we're like, all right, what 
what decks on there are, you know, the, the top ones online. If they're online, people are probably going to look at them. And I immediately looked at them and I was like, granite. Yeah, that's what I'm going to play. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and it, I, I think the, the granite on that list was not far off of the one that I had built. Sure. And I was, I was just like, all right, all right, cool. That's um, a good sign, yeah. Yeah, it was a really good sign. And uh, I had also been dabbling with uh, Sun Hunter Tuck 2, which is I, I love the hybrid heroes. And that one was also really close to mine. There were a few, I think, like five card difference from mine. And I'm like, all right, I, I have confidence that my deck building skills are great now. I just have to retweak some of these. And I started looking. I'm like, okay, why did they choose this card over this specific one? What works better than this one? Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, okay, well, I can see that. I can see why this one's better. But I still think I like my choice better. So I kept it in, changed it a little bit, reworked it. And after just consistent playing, uh, I feel like we all had really strong motivators for the deck that we wanted to build. And uh, my friends are there. We've been playing this game for so long and seeing how many cards do really well. And we're just, we have a, we have a love hate relationship with Dolo. Sure. Uh, Cause Dolo, Oh, you know, I'll draw two for dealing two. It's like, no, why can't I draw two for something? <laughs> that is so much card advantage. So uh, my friend Stephen uh, went in along with it, and he he brought in uh, a basic, you know, well the the general archetype for the Dolo deck, but he didn't play Dolo. He said, "All right, I'm playing this deck, but I refuse to go to the ground level of Smug and play Dolo. <laughs> so I'm playing a different hero." And I'm like, "You do you, man. If that's I mean, if yeah. it's gonna make you feel better inside, you do it." And he went pretty well with it. And I was he like, I, "It it just means hey, it's it's the deck. If you know how to play it well, obviously Dolo." Card advantage is really good in any card game, so it probably put him over the edge on that. But he went in with what he wanted to do, and he did really well. And I just that just gives me good hope. It's like, hey, you know, the heroes having a certain hero will make the deck good. And some heroes, obviously, you need them for that deck. But in a general archetype, you can change out the hero, and it'll still be a great deck because the deck is solid on its own. It's true. Yeah. So just listening, you talk about this stuff and and how how you play tested and how you you went about modifying your deck and such. It sounds like you have probably done this for other games before uh, quite a bit yeah uh like i said i've played card games throughout the years uh magic the gathering the world of warcraft card game before it got canceled and turned into hearthstone i uh-huh. played hearthstone a lot so, um, so have you played those games at a competitive level as well uh competitive level no i haven't i haven't gone to scene it, it, it was mostly just me and my friends started playing it a while of course these games we joined in you know 10 plus years after yeah. the community has grown everything for it so we're like all right, if we get into the competitive level now, we got to start shelling out all this money because people have already had major refined decks for it. So we got to learn to play them. We got to learn the archetypes. And we feel that uh, we're, we're really going to stick with this game because, A, we got in right at the ground level. We know what's going on. We've followed it since the beginning. We have a really good general sense of it. So we feel like if if you want to play competitively, not saying it's the wrong, uh, there's any other way to do it because obviously people have joined all these card games for 20 plus years and joined competitively recently and been doing really well. Yeah. Uh, but we're, we're one of those real sticklers for like, we have to learn everything we can about this before we jump in and commit. And we just feel that being, like I said, right at the ground level, right when it started following it consistently since then, we have a very vast knowledgeable uh, stuff at it. We can follow along with it. We can, start to learn and predict what some of the decks we might see out there are, as opposed to a card catalog that's over 10,000 cards long. We're like, we have no, there's so many possibilities right now. It's almost endless to learn all that by the time we go competitively. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I've been to a few like Magic the Gathering drafts, uh, a few constructed tournaments at local game shops, but nothing on a competitive, competitive level like I've been with Lightseekers, no. Fair enough. So why don't we dive into the deck you used a little bit more at the tournament 
Sure. Uh, if you just want to give us a quick rundown of that deck list, and then we can break it down from there. Perfect. Uh, I played with the hero Granite. Uh, Granite is a mountain order card with Earth as its superior element. His ability is increased damage done to other heroes by five if your deck is empty. The combos I was using were Crushing Blow, Lava Shedding, Magma Blast, Stream of Tantos, and Wrath of the Mountain. My action cards were three Ancient Miners, three Boulder Feasts, three Crystal Leech, three Exterior Defender, three Geode Hatchling, three Mountain Fort, two Shattered Volcano, two Focus Chamber, two Emergency System, two Tantosian Blacksmith, two Tyrax Fixer, one Forge Wall, and one Spin Blade 3000. Wonderful. One thing I, I do like to see is it looks like you have a lot of three ofs. Yes. Like the, the only one ofs in the entire deck are the items. And that doesn't surprise me so much, especially in like a granite deck. Yep. What makes you decide to go for more three ofs than one offs? In, in this type of, uh, play style, the, the whole point of the deck is card draw. Defend yourself until the very end, because that's when his ability kicks in, and that's when you want to push for all your damage. So what I did is I pretty much just, hey, this is a really good defense card, put that one in. Uh, this is buff removal, we're having three of those. Healing, having three of them, max out. And because of the uh, the such increase in damage, you don't really need that much diversity in attack damage, where all sure. of your damage is really going to come from your combos. So you just need to be able to push and survive until the end. So that's when you just want, you know, if you have really efficient heals... Put the max copies you can put in there. Really efficient damage prevention. Put the max copies in there. Uh, I feel like my one ofs are my tech choices in my side deck. Where mm-hmm. if I need to do like one of this to counter a certain play style, or if you know the damage prevention was it's not enough, put in something else. So that's kind of where my one ofs were. Where if I have multiple copies of this, it's really easy to sideboard out as opposed to taking out a one of for one of this. Uh, you know, like one like having having in certain tech choices in the main deck for me wasn't as valuable as just having in, say, just another exterior defender as opposed to maybe main decking like a, a Kribal Monk, something like that, sure. where I, I really just wanted to focus on keeping myself alive, keeping my opponent at, at kind of a wall until I got my deck drawn, and then I started going off on them. So the the big question is then, do you, do you recall, I, I guess we'll, we'll just start with this tournament in general. Sure. How often you got to empty deck? Uh, I got to empty deck, I want to say, every single match I played except for uh, versus two opponents. Okay. Uh, one of them was against Trianu. Trianu I had a problem with, mostly because their, uh, the green style is very consistent buff damage, very just persistent overtime damage that I, I couldn't just you know sit behind a wall. They don't attack, so my exterior defenders almost did nothing. I couldn't have the big heals because they didn't attack me. It was all buff damage. Mm-hmm. So I realized... After the first game, I'm like, all right, I can't wait till empty deck. I'm going to die if I do that. I don't have enough sustain to make it that way. I have to just start pushing damage. I can't rely on my hero ability to do that. So uh, against against green deck that kind of doesn't really attack, which means a lot of my cards that require them to attack me to benefit from it, mm-hmm. weren't really helpful at all. So I needed to find a way to win before he just kind of sent all of his insects over my wall and killed me, essentially. <laughs> is what green does really well. The the other one that I had to do it against was a um, it was a, a fish singer Ushi deck, okay. and it was it was the archetype where it's just, it just recycles its graveyard into its deck, uh, which 
now, as soon as Kindred comes out, it's going to have a, a big nerf because of all the cards that are now getting burned. But that uh, that one, I think about halfway through the game, I realized what his deck was doing, and it was the first time I actually saw that deck in action. I sat there going, "I'm I'm never going to make it to end game. This this guy, <laughs> I, so I got to start pushing damage now. I got to start hitting him hard and fast." And I, that's when I started putting in like the consistent uh, damage with like Colossi Skybeam. It's like, "Hey, I'm going to get you trickled down to 20." Then I'm going to start hurting you if you want to, you know, use your flood instead of your uh, tornado. By all means, if you don't hit me, then that's fine. I'll just keep hitting you with stuff. So that's uh, it's it's one of those, like I said, archetypes that we trained for that we tested against is when can you wait till the end of the deck? Which is uh, nine times out of ten, you can wait till the end of the deck when you get sustain or enough damage to do 17 damage with one card. But a lot of times when they just have they have way too much consistent damage that you can't deal with. Or if you find yourself in a pickle where you're like, all right, I can't outheal all this damage. There's not enough cards in my deck to like to allow me to stay above. I'd say 20 health is good for that deck to stay consistently above because there's blowout cards in every deck. Mm-hmm. And to avoid them, you're like, all right, I got to stay at this health. If I drop below that, I got to get myself back up. And it started wheels turning in my head, realizing, okay, I've blown through over half my heals. By turn, you know, three three more turns, I'm going to be down to 10. I can't allow that to happen. I really started just got to be more aggressive with this deck. I can't, like I said, sit behind my walls, drawing cards, waiting for my opponent to do whatever he wants while I sit here building up a big hand. It's it's just not cost efficient to game wise. So, so in games like that, when you when you find out that you do have to start attacking earlier, and you've kind of built this with minimal amounts of attack power because you you are. kind of a waiting counting on that extra damage when you hit empty deck did you ever end up running out of attack power or what was it that kept you in it uh what kept me in it it, it was my you know sit behind a wall for the most part try and mitigate as much of the consistent damage as possible uh what's really nice is uh having one spin blade 3000 in there for just a consistent two three damage whatever i can do a turn so i also had a small consistent damage with cards like Ancient Miner, it's drawing outside of my end phase without using it to action abilities. But, I mean, the, the combos in there are all just big heavy hitters, anywhere between around 7 to 12 damage. So usually I waited until they had no defense, no no healing of any kind and whatnot. Like I said, I put uh, Colossi Skybeam in there to help kind of trickle them down until they got around 20. Use my Spin Blade to keep poking them down to kind of make them feel like, yeah, you know, I'm only being able to do 2 damage a turn. Get them down to that area where they they feel like you know we're so sustainable, and then I put out Wrath of the Mountain, twelve damage to them, put two cards back in their deck, and then I, I at that time because this deck does accumulate such a large hand size, I have enough to pay for almost combo back or combos back to back. Yeah. So being able to do Wrath of the Mountain and then a Magma Blast for twenty four damage back to back is one of those really good pushes that you just kind of wait for and hope that your opponent doesn't have all the heal, which is kind of what I was saying with using Spin Blade to poke him down, get him to that nice area where it's like, okay, if I hit you for 12, that brings you down to maybe 6 from when they were at 18. Sure. If they if they heal again, I'll hit you for another 12. And after that, it's like, okay, if you don't heal, I'm still going to Spin Blade you for 2, for 2, for 2, and just kind of dwindle you down until you can't do anything. Uh, you also have to, with the the their buff defenses, you really look and see, okay, you know they might lay a Storm Shaman. You're like, okay. It's a big, heavy damage one. They're going to waste their next turn on damage. So maybe now is the time to be more aggressive and hit for 12 and force them to say, okay, do I want to waste my Storm Shaman and heal, or do I want do I want to try and go through his wall and use this as a good time to get use out of that Storm Shaman? So it's, it's, it's kind of one of those wait for your opponent to see what they're going to do to see if you can counteract in turn 
to really push that damage and, and make them counter guess what they were planning on doing with their buffs. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, with, with that deck, it's, it's really hard if you suddenly realize, hey, I need to push damage mid-game. And you're like, okay, how can I do that without hitting them for 12 and then next turn having them heal for 10? And you're like, well, I hope I have enough damage left in my deck to continually push them down. Um, it, it's, it's difficult at times. And I'm really happy that I was able to deck test with this to figure out when to be able to do that, how to play the deck against all the other archetypes, and do that. But I, it's it's a really difficult matchup if you cannot wait for your deck to be empty and you need to kill them before then. I, I can definitely see that. Yeah. So the the other big question I have then is, is something I don't see a lot, but I think I'm going to start seeing, well, I have started seeing more, I guess, is having two weapons in there that are... Uh, they're both mechanical weapons, correct? Yes, they are. But th- they're obviously different. And you you have them in there, I believe, for their specific abilities. One is defensive, one is offensive. The sp- yep. Spin blade, obviously, we, we've we've talked over the forge wall. Yeah, it, it's just a. I mean, it really can't be beat when no. <laughs> when you're under fifteen and and knocking off all that damage. There were definitely a bunch of mountain decks at the tournament and i'm sure you've tested against plenty of mountain decks at least one of these weapons has been the subject of a crushing blow i'm sure oh several times yes um do do you usually put both of them out there right away or do do you hold one back until they they hopefully get that crushing blow out of the way or do you have a kind of a formula for how you use your items uh, I actually do have a kind of a formula for when I use my items. Um, obviously, red is right now the only color that can remove items. Mm-hmm. Luckily, uh, with the card release yesterday, it's becoming more generic. <laughs> yep. It'll be Super changing. nice. That was one of my pet peeves is that how come red has all this really good aggression against weapons and no one else can defend themselves? Uh, but whenever I would go against red, I would usually start with Forge Wall. Um, because Forge Wall, obviously, it's an annoyance early, mid, and late game. It's like, okay, well, I want to push him damage. I want to do this. But Forge Wall is always out there to say, hey... You know, I have ability in my text. I have my Tyrex Fixer. I have my emergency system. With this card out, it's going to be a lot of healing. What are you going to do? And I usually try and have my Forge Wall be the bait for Crushing Blow uh, because I've found, at least against Red, uh, Spin Blade is a lot more effective with this deck because this deck, like I said, doesn't have a whole lot of attacks. It has yeah. the combos and it has the Geode Hatchlings to poke for one. So if a Red deck puts out uh, a Mountain Fort, I have no way to really get rid of that. Uh, it's going to be a really big nuisance if they're like Mountain Fort, have another Mountain Fort. I'm like, okay, that's six damage prevented for the next time. So with, with Spin Blade out, I have a way to do a poke damage every turn to kind of unwind that Mountain Fort and get it out of the way for my combos to go. Yeah. Um, and actually, that, that's what helped me in the, uh, the final match is I was playing against Dolo. And uh, his first game, he crushing blow my Forge Wall. And I was like, all right, I got Spin Blade out. I can still use all my tech heals. I have enough you know, defenses against all of his attacks to kind of block. I don't need Forge Wall anymore. I need that aggression to get rid of his Mountain Forts, to get rid of all this stuff. If he's playing Exterior Defenders, an attack ability is still an attack card, which means I can get rid of that Exterior Defender without it canceling out a combo. So in this play style, yeah, Spin Blade is definitely the higher value weapon over uh, Forge Wall, which is what I, I use to bait out that Crushing Blow to say, you know, if you want to try and push for the kill... You got to get rid of that nuisance because it's going to keep preventing you from doing a lot of damage. And that's when I have them blow that weapon up. And I'm like, all right, spin blade. You can't really deal with this. I'm going to get rid of your walls and wait till the end. You got it. If someone else were to to try and replicate this deck, well, f- first of all, is there anything at this point after after having so much experience with it that, that you think you would change? Or is it pretty good the way it is? 
Um, I'd, I'd say right now the deck list that you have online is it's really good the way it is. There are a few changes that I've made afterwards. Obviously, playing the tournament, learned a little bit more about the deck against different archetypes that I obviously don't own out of my decks or my friends' decks do. Um, I changed the the side deck a little bit, uh, the, my combos. I actually found that Wrath of the Mountain is a better side deck combo um, because my thoughts exactly on that too <laughs> i played it and it's like 12 damage it's an awesome combo but at the end of the game if you're playing this where you just need consistent push damage wrath of the mountain i used for payment every single time mm-hmm. and then it came down where uh crushing blow did nine damage plus five and i usually wait until i have out a uh a shattered volcano for seven more damage on top of that so i really only need to lay about three combos at the very end to just overwhelm them with damage that they can't out heal and when it came down to it, when I wanted to like Magma Blast, I needed to keep an extra mountain card in my hand in order to do that, which means I had to hold back a, a Boulder Feast or uh, an Exterior Defender or something like that till late game. So I actually, after the tournament, I purchased a Av- or not um, Earthquake, which is a double mountain com- a four cost combo, yep. and put that in there over Wrath of the Mountain. And that one, I just I strictly use that for payment because at the end of the game, if you you know have to shuffle two cards back in your deck for combo. You only draw one, which means that next turn after that, you don't get Granite's benefit. So you have to literally draw that last card before you get it again. So being able to pay for one for one cards so that your deck is consistently empty afterwards is the biggest benefit I found <laughs> with replacing Wrath of the Mountain. Yeah. Um, but I, I still put it in. Uh, I took out Rock Melter from my side deck and put Wrath of the Mountain in because Wrath of the Mountain, great damage. Like I said, great 12 damage. And that's the card that you kind of want to replace. Uh, earthquake with if you need to push that mid-range damage against uh, consistent buff damage we're like all right i need that extra push i can't just let it uh, if i play earthquake i can't have a buff sitting out there for them to easily remove it and have it just you know four four five five i'd, I'd rather deal 12 damage straight to their face have them overwhelmed with damage but yeah that's that's one of the things that i changed about it because i was like i need I, I need that benefit of paying one for one combos so that my deck is consistently empty turn after turn after turn mm-hmm. and i don't to rely on wasting a whole turn without that benefit it was it was too much of a, a hindrance on me near the end of the game against some of them yeah that combo payment is definitely something i think a lot of beginners at least tend to overlook like they, they just look at the benefits are of playing that combo but not necessarily what it costs or how you're going to pay for it if if the cards in your in your deck balance well or if the combos like you said pay for each other which is huge especially in a granite deck like this exactly so i i'm glad to hear that you know not even your deck was necessarily perfect there is something you could do at least you think you could do to improve upon what you already had mm-hmm so that was, a, that was a big benefit from this tournament of learning that is I went in, like I said, I had three weeks testing this deck, refining it even after the tournament, I'm like, nope, still wasn't done with it. Still got to take it a little bit more. <laughs> like I was getting into though, if anybody wanted to replicate this deck, what kind of advice would you have for them if, when they're trying to play it? The advice that I would have for them while playing it, if they replicated it for what it is right there, really focus on playing defensively. Uh, the really good plays in this deck are obviously get your exterior defenders out to cancel their buff removals because a lot of the buff removal other than outside of Storm is attack cards. Mm-hmm. So having them try and waste two attacks to just remove a buff is incredibly huge. And with Geode Hatchlings, depending on the game style that you're going against, if you're going against a very aggressive, use Geode Hatchling to bring back a, a Mountain Fort for that consistent damage prevention. But if you're going against kind of like a, a heavy hitter where they're dealing like seven 
all this stuff, and you can you can heal through it with you know emergency system or Tyrex fixers. Save those geode hatchlings for the the ancient miner, because in those games you they can hit you a lot because you can heal through it. But what you really want to do is rush through your entire deck to get to the end because they do have a lot of heavy hitters. They are going to overwhelm you, and the best defense is to go on the offense as soon as possible with your best hitters, which is an empty deck. So it, it depends on the play style, but the, the key combos are Geode Hatchling with either a, a Mountain Fort or a uh, Ancient Miner to really bring those beneficial buffs back that they may remove, and you can bring them right back and be like, all right, now deal with this again. I'm going to consistently keep drawing cards, or I'm going to consistently have a wall up. It's, it's, it's a really helpful play style to learn... And it, well, with this deck, like you said, I have threes of everything, so it's it's not that particular of you know which buffs to look out for because there's multiple copies in it. But it is learning which buffs are going to be the key components to not necessarily winning, but surviving in the game and getting you to that end game. Because once you get to the end game, I think that Granite has one of the best just blowout potentials of any hero that I've played with so far. Definitely. So yeah, with with that, if you were to replay the deck. I would hang on to your Geode Hatchlings for the correct buffs that you need in certain scenarios. Uh, like I said, the the green, uh, when I fist against consistent buff damage with, you know, Mantic Swarms and all the stuff that was just poke, 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 running my Mountain Forts down almost every turn. They weren't attacking. Don't worry about Emergency System. Bring that Mountain Fort back. Bring it back as soon as possible because if you draw cards, but you're taking five damage consistently every turn, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how many cards you have in your hand if you're at five health at the end of the game and you can only deal... 17 damage and then they can deal five more to you and win you you really need to negate all that small damage as much as you can before you draw your cards i like it yeah all right well frank we're gonna be uh wrapping things up here a little bit i think but is there anything else you can think of that would be beneficial for someone to know about this deck so like i said obviously the strengths uh for this deck for playing it get your Try and get as much card draw as you can as possible. Just the side deck is what really makes the deck powerful is because, yes, the deck is a solid as whole, but the side deck really comes in handy against certain archetypes that this deck on its own just cannot beat. And what's really nice about this deck is there's only a handful of them that it can't. So making that strong side deck to compete against the two or three decks that beat this every time is what's really going to make it a solid tournament deck like it was. But the the trick to not only playing this deck and learning how to win is play against it. Learn what it's weak against. Play something that you would never would have played normally against this deck and be like, all right, how do I beat this? Because once you learn how your deck is beaten, you can learn how to improve it and make sure that it does not get beaten. That's one of the big things that I learned is I, I just made this deck and I literally handed it to a friend like, hey, I want you to play this against me for the next two hours. I'm going to try and beat it on my own because I've been having problems beating it and I want to learn how it's done so that I can prevent it from happening to me. Great advice. I think that's all we have for this week then. So thank you, Frank, for joining me. Congratulations again on your victory at the tournament. And I think we will probably be seeing you shortly at uh, some of the upcoming conventions. I believe we will, yeah. If you're going to be at Gen Con, I'll be there as well. I'll have to stop by and say hi. And thank you again for having me on the show. It was a blast. I was really happy to be able to come out to the tournament and have a, a great turnout for it and meet a whole bunch of other new Lightseekers people that I never would have met if I just stayed at my one-card shop. So, <laughs> All right, sounds good. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, Matt. And there you have it. That was Frank, a.k.a. Razor Greshu, the first ever Delivery Crab Tournament winner here in Wisconsin. 
Frank's decklist was already posted in the tournament recap that we put up on the website, along with all the other decklists from that tournament. But I'll repost it again here in the show notes for this episode, which can be found at deliverycrab.com slash 038. I'm done traveling for a while now, so episodes should be coming out more regularly again. As always, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, all the social media sites for all the latest news and highlights from the Lightseekers community. That's all we got for now. So until next week, I got some more deliveries to make.